1 Peter chapter 2, and we will start in verse number 9. It says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who have called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Um, the State Department has a division that they call the Bureau of Consular Affairs. And it's amazing all the things that you find out that you're paying for when you start looking into government uh, departments and divisions and bureaus and so forth. But um, it's, it's actually a pretty good service if you're ever going to travel abroad um, because they're there for American citizens in foreign countries. And so this division has something called they call something they call the STEP program. It's the Smart Traveler Enrollment Program. And so if you're an American, you're going to go abroad. You go and sign up for this program with the U.S. Embassy. And what it does is it lets you know that you're traveling in that foreign country. So if you're going to go to Italy or, or Spain someplace, you sign up for that program. And they'll let you know if there's a threat in the area. They'll let you know if there's danger. And say, well, I'm planning on going to these different places. And they say, well, you might want to reconsider because there's been a lot of violence here or there's... There's something going on there. And if something happens to you while you're over there, they know where you're at and they can help you. Or if something happens here at home while you're gone, somebody can contact you. So it's just there to help you and to warn you while you're traveling through a foreign land, a place where you might not know anybody. So I always wanted to go to Italy, but if I went to Italy, I wouldn't know not one person over there. And so the slightest thing happened, I'd have no... No one to help, no, no resources. Well, this program is to help uh, foreigners, uh, United States citizens as foreigners in other lands to navigate through. Well, this is sort of a Christian step program um, that we have here. It's Peter helping foreigners travel through a foreign land. Citizens of a different country travel through a foreign land. And... Uh, I tried to come up with an outline. I thought, well, that would be good if I could come up with an acronym for an outline, like a step. But uh, I couldn't think of anything that wasn't too silly. So uh, somebody else could do that. If you get down the end, you think of an outline, you can tell me, and I'll, I'll, I'll save it for some other day. But the point is that Peter is telling these travelers to be careful because there's, there's great dangers. We are pilgrims and strangers traveling through a foreign country with hostile all over the place. So we need to be careful. And he gives us some warnings and, and some things to look out for and th some things to avoid. To, to be careful as we, as citizens of another country, travel through this world on our way to the heavenly Zion. So even if you're just in a sketchy place, Somewhere around here. You want to be ready to protect yourself. And, and so what you do is 
you're, you want to be ready to defend yourself, but you also want to be proactive. So you don't want to wait until somebody attacks you and then say, well, now I can do something. You want to be vigilant to be on the lookout, right? So you don't want to be on your cell phone while you're walking down the street because you're not being vigilant. You're not being look, watching out. You're telling criminals, hey, I'm not paying attention because I'm on my phone. Come and rob me, right? So you want to be proactive on the offensive, um, doing things proactively, but you also need to watch out for, for dangers. Well, in this text, I think we have something that we need to, to be defensive about, but also something to be proactive as we travel. So as we're on our journey to the heavenly country, there's some things that we can do to remember and then be defensive and protect ourselves defensively and then offensively. So the first thing we need to do is remember who and what we are. We are pilgrims, strangers and pilgrims. We are foreigners as God's people. God, we used to not be a people of God, verse 10 says, but now we are the people of God. Now we are citizens of, of the heavenly kingdom. We are um, the children of God in the world, but not of the world. And so by, by God's grace, we have been born again, and, and we have been called into this heavenly citizenship. And we are to consider ourselves as strangers and pilgrims. Peter may have been quoting um, from 1 Chronicles chapter 29, um, in verse number 10. So I'm in 2 Chronicles. 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse number 10. David uh, says, Bless, or David blessed the Lord before the congregation and said, Blessed be thou, Lord God of Israel, our Father forevermore. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heaven and the earth is thine, and thine is the kingdom, O Lord. And thou art exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from thee. And thou reignest over all, and in thy hand is power and might. And in thy hand is to make great and give strength unto all. Now, therefore, our God, we thank thee and praise thy glorious name. But who am I and what is my people that, that we should be able to, to offer so willingly after this sort? For all things come of thee and thine own have we given thee. For we are strangers before thee and sojourners as were all our fathers and our days on earth are as a shadow and there is none abiding. So we are sojourners here. And Peter doesn't say act like sojourners or behave like sojourners. He said this is who you are. This world, I mean, this is just a fact we need to reckon with here. As much as we try and as much as we want it to be, this world is just not our home. This world is no a lasting resting place. And as much as we want it to be, and as much as we try, and as much as we work and build to have something here forever, this world is a sinking ship. And if we have all of our hope in this world, we're going to be sadly disappointed. 
Peter says we are pilgrims and strangers. We are heading towards that eternal inheritance. There is the lasting city. There is the heavenly rest. There we'll never grow old. There we'll have eternal bliss and our eternal rest and joy and peace with, with Christ. There in the eternal kingdom will we be glorified. And so it's not a pessimistic view, it's just a realistic view that this world is not our home. We don't despair, we don't give up, we don't go into hiding, but we just look at it for what it is. That we have something better awaiting for us. And as we travel this road, we, we love God, and we love our families, and we love the things that God gives us, and we enjoy everything that God gives us. That, that our God bestows upon us great blessings in our pilgrimage. But we just have to remember, this is our pilgrimage. You know, it'd be like if you, you went on vacation and you rented a house, you got Airbnb and you rented a house and you looked and there was a hole in the sheetrock and you said, well, I don't like that. And you go to the hardware store and you fix it up and then you go and fix up the, the patio and you spend your whole vacation working on the, the Airbnb to, to make it nice. And then you leave because it doesn't belong to you. you know, we, are, we are here for a short season. This is not our eternal home. And so we just need to live with that, with that realization. It's not like the... Um, uh, the Southern Gospel song, I can't even think who sings it now. But, uh, talked about it. Didn't have any time to, to fix the windows and the doors because he was going home. I, I don't think you go to that far extreme. Um, but, but you know, you, the Lord has given us uh, things and we're good stewards and, and live responsibly and so forth. But it's just the mindset that, that we are sojourners here. And as strangers and pilgrims, this is the, the main thrust of the idea, that we're in enemy territory. We need to remember the words our Lord told us about living in this world. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. Just think about how they treated our Lord. Think about how they treated the Lord Jesus Christ in this world. For which miracle, for which good work, for which good thing, did they want to kill him? Because it wasn't for anything bad that he did. What was it that he did that, that made them hate him so? Well, that's our Lord. Our Master. And we need to remember the same mindset, the same desires and, and hatred that was in those people at the time our Lord was crucified it's the same human nature that still has the same opinions about Jesus Christ. So we are strangers, but in enemy territory. So some places would be more, some places would be safer to travel probably than, well, not probably, they would be safer to travel than other places. But, you know, we don't have really a place in this world where you say, well, this is a friendly, worldly territory. No, um, Jesus said, you're, against, you're with me or against me. That's another thing about putting too much trust in this government. You know, I'm glad that I live here, 
I wouldn't want to live anywhere else in this country. But you know, you just have to remember, it's not. You just have to remember, sinners are in power, and sinners um, write laws. And to to put your hope in a government institution, even a nation, um, you you're putting your hope in the hands of the enemy. We are first and foremost the citizens of of Christ's kingdom. And we are in enemy territory. Well, the first thing we do is have a defensive um, posture. So we need to be ready to defend. He said, so since you're as pilgrims or strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. So here's the, the, the defense. First, you recognize your enemy. Who's the enemy? Well, the enemy is the fleshly lusts. So we have an enemy, but the enemy really in this world is within. It's the desires of the fallen human nature. Now, flesh is not evil, like your skin and your bones. That's not evil. God created man, and he created flesh. And it's really unnatural for the the soul of man to be separated from the body. The, The natural state is for soul and body to be together. It's an unnatural thing. So we say, well, death is just a natural thing. Well, really, no, it's, it's an unnatural thing because God created man, body and body and soul. And so when the when the soul is separated from the body, it's not as God, how God created. And so one day the body will rise from the dead and body and soul will be reunited. So it's not flesh that's evil. Christ had flesh. So, but whenever the Bible talks about flesh in this sense, it's a metaphor for uh, the fallen human nature. So it's not that physical things are bad, but it's just the, the nature of corrupt human heart. So it's evidenced in Galatians when Paul talks about um, flesh and spirit. So Galatians 5 and verse 19. You know this text. But the works of the flesh are manifest. So here's what Peter's talking about the the lust of the flesh, the works of the flesh. Adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred. Okay? So hatred, and then um, variance, emulation, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envy, Murder, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, which I tell you before, as I have told you in the past, that they which do think so such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So notice some of these things that Paul was talking about. Of course, there's outward actions, drunkenness, murders, but there's also selfishness. Selfish ambition, strife, wrath, heresy, hatred, fighting or uh, variance, fighting, all these things are heart matters. I mean, you can't tell if I'm envious or not by looking at me. And some of these, 
about half of them are outward acts and, and then the rest are, are heart sins. But that's also the work of the flesh. So it's, it's not, even the lusts of the flesh are not outward actions. You, know, you think of lusts of the flesh, you might think of a particular category of sin, but really it is just the corrupt human nature. Whether it be pride or, or just hatred, envy, but also fornication and uncleanliness, drunkenness, murders. It's just the desires of the human flesh. The desires of the corrupt nature, sinfulness. That's the enemy. The enemy is within. The enemy is the, the human nature. And then, so, it's also the, the human nature in other people. Why is there murder? Because the, the heart of another person. Right? So there, there's physical dangers all around us because people are sinners. We live in a sinful world. The enemy is, is our corrupt nature. And what's our enemy do? It wars against the soul. That's the concern that Peter has for God's people. You have an enemy. And yeah, they might imprison you. And yes, they may persecute you. And you know the the because Peter gets into that a little bit later in the book, actually a little bit later in the chapter. What do you do in a corrupt government? What do you do with corrupt leaders? What do you do if you have a if you're a servant, and you have a corrupt master? What do you do if you're married and you have a spouse that is that is not saved? And and how do you live? How do you live in a world that is against Christ? So he gets into this, but but at this point he talks about the the direction of this attack, and that is against the soul. So how do fleshly lusts war against the soul? I read an Arminian, I, I was curious to see how he had it, and it was just as you might expect that the fleshly lust to war against your eternal soul and, and you're in a battle to, to strive for holiness that you might not uh, fall away into perdition. Well, who is Peter talking to? Well, of course, he's talking to God's people, elect according to the foreknowledge of God through sanctification of the Spirit, through the blood of Jesus Christ, who has begotten us to a lively hope that has that uh, has our inheritance in heaven reserved for us, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. So Peter can't be, after all that, in chapter 1 coming back and saying, but be careful and don't sin, otherwise you'll lose, all, you'll lose it all. So it can't be to lose your salvation. It's not that the state of your soul is on the line and if you get caught off guard or, or overcome uh, with, with temptation, that, that you're going to fall into uh, everlasting judgment. Now, fleshly lusts do bring the unregenerate to perdition. And it would you too, apart from the mercy of Christ. If it weren't for Christ's mercy, every one of us would be overcome with the, the lust that war against the soul and be dragged down into the, the fires of judgment which we all belong Satan 
would have been overcome by Peter unless Christ prayed, unless Christ kept him. He is a roaring lion, as it says in chapter 5 and verse 8. Walking about, seeking whom he may devour. And so Peter says, resist steadfast in faith. So he tells us to be on guard, to be on the lookout, to be watching. For Satan roars as a lion. The, the works of the flesh attack and war against the soul. So yes, we are, we are safe in Christ, but does that take away the, the danger here? Does that take away the warning? Well, by no means. We just need to understand what the war is going on. So those who are without Christ, the lust of the flesh war against their soul when they are overcome. And they are ultimately destroyed. But we who are in Christ have these fleshly lusts attack us, attack us, and the work is on our soul. So fleshly lusts, we, we read what those fleshly lusts were. So Paul said he saw a law in his members warring against the law of his mind and bringing me into captivity the law of sin which is in my members, Romans 7.23. So Romans 7 is a, is a back and forth where Paul is saying, I want to do this in the spirit, but then in my mind, in my flesh, I have this battle. Back and forth, back and forth. That I'm just constantly fighting against myself. That by God's grace, I want to serve him. I want to please him. I want to do what is right. But that old man, that corrupt nature, will come along and, 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 and I'll do what I don't want to do. And I won't do what I know I'm supposed to do. And just back and forth, back and forth. There's a law in his in his mind warring against or in his flesh warring against the law of his mind. And he just it's a constant battle. So if there's fighting, what does what is there not? There's there's no peace, right? If there's war, there's no peace. So if there's a, a if there is warring against the law of his mind, then the attacks of fleshly lust upon their soul attack your peace. When you fall into the temptation of the, of the lust of the flesh, you're being, your peace is being attacked. Your peace of mind, your, your peace of heart. It attacks your comfort. Right? Christ has come. Uh, the comforter indwells us. But when we um, fall, or don't abstain from the fleshly lust which war against our soul, then that the attack is directed right to our comfort. And you read passages like in 1 John and, and 2 Peter that talk about um, the evidences of our faith being um, an assurance of salvation. Well, what happens when the lust of the flesh war against the soul, and you don't abstain from the lust of the flesh, then the outward evidences that, that the Lord gives you to, to testify of the work of grace in your heart diminish. And then, likewise, your assurance will diminish. Because you'll look at your life and you'll say, I just fell into the, I lost, I'm losing the war against the, these uh, flesh, uh, lusts of the flesh. And so the lusts of the flesh attack your assurance. It attacks your joy. Jesus told us that, that if we love him, we'll keep his commandments. And he told us that 
uh, that our joy might be full. And so, um, the, the lust of the flesh will attack your joy. The flesh, the lust of the flesh, tell you you'll have fun, you'll have joy, you'll have comfort, you'll have everything that you want if you indulge in the lust of the flesh. But reality tells us that as God's people, you won't have peace, you won't have comfort, you, you won't have great assurance, you won't have joy. You won't grow in faith, but you'll grow, grow weak. So be on the lookout. It's a great enemy. We, wouldn't, we don't say, well, just because you don't lose your salvation that there's no danger. No, there's great danger for, for the, the life that God has given you um, in, this, in this world to live with joy and, and one glorifying Him. So if we flip back to Galatians, the works of the flesh war against the, the fruit of the Spirit. So that's the two things that Paul was talking about warring in his members. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. This is what we, can ha- this is what we have in Christ. But the lust of the flesh war against, those, against that fruit. And so, if we don't abstain from one, we, we, lose, we lose the comfort of the other and the joy of the other. Not finally, but um, you understand what I mean. That, that, that's, the, that's where it's directed. That's where it's attacking us in our Christian life. So the defense here is, so now we know the enemy. We know the danger that it poses. We want to have joy and peace and love and comfort and assurance and, and faith. And we want all these blessings. But the, the, the flesh is the opposite of these things. And trying to, to drag us away from experiencing the joy of the salvation of the Lord. So we know the, da- we know the enemy. We know the dangers. So how do we defend ourselves? Well, abstain. Abstain from those, those sins. As long as you're in this world, you're going to be in the flesh, and as long as you, you have this old nature, it's going to be warring against you. You're not going to get out of it in this life. You're not going to come to a, a super, super level of Christianity to where you're, you're high and above everybody else. There's not a, don't, don't think that there's levels of Christianity, as, as some people will say, that that you can level up and then you won't have problems like that anymore. No, we are all in Christ and, and we may be young in Christ and we mature in Christ, but that doesn't mean it's not a trajectory where you start out at the bottom and just work your way up to the top, that, that even when you mature, sometimes you stumble and fall. So as long as you're in this world and you've got this old nature, this old man, you're going to have this war. We're not going to be safe from this war until... Um, we were delivered from this corrupt nature. That's why Paul prayed at the end of Romans 7, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? It's Christ that gives the victory. So, our defense against this is we abstain. It's attributed to Martin Luther. I think he said it. He said, uh, you can't keep birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. You can't keep the old flesh 
from warring against your soul, but you don't have to indulge the flesh and, and give way to the flesh, right? A bird flying over your head is not your fault, but if you've got a nest in your hair, you know, that, that's your fault for, for not knocking it away, right? So don't indulge the flesh, abstain. Don't run into sin. Don't consider sin a light thing, but treat it as what it is. Think about it this way. Peter says you're in enemy territory. These lusts are things that you used to indulge in, that you used to enjoy, but you were saved from wrath. You were saved from the things that would ruin you forever. That this sin, this lust, this wickedness was, was what would have drug you into hell. These affronts to the, to the holiness of God are not your friends, are not things of comfort and joy and happiness, but they're your enemy. Look at, this, look at sin for what it is and for what it, what it did to you. Take the mask off and see what these lusts really are. Think about the great price that Christ paid to, to save us from these sins and how much God must hate sin. That, that he would send his only begotten son to die for us, that we might be delivered from sin. So Peter says, for the sake of your joy, for your comfort, and for your peace in this world, as, as pilgrims and strangers traveling on to everlasting rest and glory, abstain from these things that Jesus has saved you from. He saved you from your sins and delivered you from your sins, he saved you from the condemnation of these sins. And so now in Christ, you have the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit, and the lust of the flesh will rob you from the enjoyment that Christ has given you, that he has saved you and, and promised you joy and has given you comfort and, and love and peace. And this sin, though it may not, though it would not, uh, damn you to hell because you are safe in Christ for there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ it will rob you of all of the enjoyment of the things in this life that Christ has given you so Peter says watch out be careful as you traverse through this enemy territory well the third point of the message uh, when we see the enemy we know who we are we see the enemy now we need to have an offensive stance. So now we're, we're playing defense, we're abstaining, but now we want to go into offense. In verse 12, he says, Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. So the, the hostiles in this, uh, this scenario or the, the lost in this world. Now, the fleshly lust war against the soul, but the Gentiles here are those who are opposed to us. Um, we're a holy nation, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a peculiar people, a purchased people. But we are walking among the Gentiles. So, if we think back to our Old Testament, 
Um, Israel were the covenant people of God, and it was the Gentiles who were outside of the covenant without help, without God in this world. And the distinction was made in the Old Testament between God's covenant people and, and those who were not, the Gentiles. Well, now, um, in, this, in this time, it's all those who put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ are God's covenant people. And we are God's people. And it's not a citizen of a country versus everyone who's not in this country, but it are those who are in Christ and then those who are out of Christ. So the Gentiles here is being used over against us being a chosen generation. So it's just it's lost people, people who do not trust in Christ. And so we're making our pilgrimage to our heavenly home through Gentile country. So think back to whenever David was on the run from Saul and he was um, going into the Philistine land. And there was dangers all over the place. He had dangers from Saul chasing him. He had dangers from the Philistines. He had dangers from, from uh, all kinds of Gentile enemies. He was an exile. And when we quoted there from uh, First Chronicles earlier, he, he's given that idea that, that the people of God were dwelling in Egypt and they were dwelling in the wilderness and they were they're traveling. They, they, they had a home promised to them. They just hadn't made it yet. Exiles, foreigners, strangers, traveling through a world of, that is opposed to them and their God and in God's ways. Well, that's who we are. We're holy exiles in a land full of trouble alongside people who don't see the danger. Lost people really are not our enemy, but it's the lust that war against the soul. So without the new birth, people view the enemy as a friend. They view Jesus who saves us from sin as the one who delivers us from the fun. Have you ever talked to somebody like that? That they don't like Christianity because all Christianity is a bunch of rules. You can't do this and you can't do that. Well, that's not Christianity. Yeah, you can't go out and, um, and you know, come home with a hangover. It's re really hard stuff. <laughs> You, know, you can't go out and get a disease. It's really, it's really terrible stuff. You can't go out and, and rob people and get shot or arrested and thrown in jail. You can't, you can't hate people and, and you can't take advantage of people. It's really, really a terrible, terrible thing that the Lord has us to do. That's not Christianity, is it? Christianity, the gospel, is that Jesus Christ saves us from our sins and gives us everlasting life that we trust in him uh, not by our works, but by our faith. And then calls us to live a life of love to him and love to others. But the unregenerate mind, the lost person's mind, who is, who is captive by the, uh, the fleshly lust, see Jesus as a rule maker who won't let him do anything fun. And takes away the best that life has to offer. These are two opposing ways of looking at the same thing. And people don't like it when you, you tell them the truth about their sin and tell them the truth about grace. And so they speak against us as evildoers. 
If a person loves that which is evil and hates which, that which is good, and calls good evil and evil good, then it only stands to reason that they will also speak against those who do good as evildoers. If people hate Christ and hate the gospel, but love sin and see sin as a good thing and good for them, well, naturally, they're going to take those who love true good, Christ, and call them evil. And then those, and take those things of evil and call it good. Our profession, our gospel is very offensive to people. And so they, they slander. Because what better way to try to ruin someone and ruin something by destroying uh, the reputation? So, well, I don't believe you because you're a bad person. Or I, don't, I can't believe you because you do all these bad things. It's not anything new. Jesus said they did this to the prophets. It's always been the case. So what do we do? Fight fire with fire. They call us names. We call them names. They, they slander us. We slander right back. They point out our, our flaws. And, and so we, we fight fire with fire and do the same. You attack us, we'll, we'll attack right back. No, that's not the, the offensive. That's the way the world tells us to do it. That is the fleshly lust. That's revenge and fighting and all those things that war against the flesh. That, that's the stuff that we like, isn't it? That, that's what we like. You know, that, that's one reason why people like our former president is because he, he gave it just as good as he, he got it, right? They, they like to see somebody finally, finally go back. Well, that might be good politics, but, but what does the Lord call us to do as his people? What does he call us to do? Well, when people speak against us as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. So people may call us every name under the sun. They may call us and lie about us and slander us and all these things. But what does the Lord want us to do as our offensive in this, in this fight? Good works is what he, an honorable life. An honest conversation is just an honorable life. The Lord rescued you from hell. He saved you from destruction. He fulfilled all the requirements of the law for you. He gave you everlasting life and has sanctified you. And now he wants us to follow him and follow his ways and live as he lived and do as he did. And to bless those who curse us and pray for those who persecute us. And to do good to one to another and to love one another and even so much as to love our enemies. Why would we do that? The Heidelberg Catechism said, To be sure, Christ has redeemed us by his blood, but we do good because Christ, by his Spirit, is also renewing us to be like himself. So in all our living, we may show that we are thankful to God for all he's done for us, and so that he may be praised through us, and we do good works. We may be assured by our faith and by its fruits. And so that by our godly living, our neighbors may be won over to Christ. 
And you'll see that in the coming sections here, that that is a way you can testify of the grace of God in you by um, your good works, because they shall behold them. Peter says you don't have to fight fire with fire. Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you, and pray for them that, that use you, and people will see that. And they will behold that. And they will notice that. And Paul said, uh, quoting from the Proverbs, it would be like putting hot coals on their head. And it's going to do one of two things. It will make them even angrier or it will convict them. And just lots of times, and you know it and I know it from personal experience, if you, if you show love to those who, who treat you poorly, um, many times, not always, but, but many times, the Lord will use that even just to, to, to quiet the storm, if nothing else. Why do we want to do that? So God will be glorified. They will behold the good works. I, I won't uh, labor the point because we've been looking at it on Sunday morning, but that's what Jesus was praying in John 17. That, that through our love and through our good works, those who are without will, will see those, and God will be glorified. Matthew 5.16, the Sermon on the Mount, um, same thing, that, that they would behold our works, our light, and God would be glorified. In the day of visitation, what's that mean? Well, it, it can either mean that God will use your witness to save them, and in the day of his power, when he comes and, and saves them, that God may be glorified, that he used your good works to bring one to saving faith. In chapter 3, verse 1, Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. But there's a, so there's a way that the, the godly, the, the good works and the godly example of one um, in Christ convicts someone um, of their sins and ultimately brings them to saving faith. So God would be glorified in that, or it could be the day of visitation when God comes as judge. God will be glorified in his children um, either way. So God will come and, and be glorified by using your good works as a witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ, or it'll be um, glorified in the day of judgment when, when uh, they will be judged for their, their evil ways when Christ was glorified in you and yet they, they uh, spurned it all the more. So just know either way, we, we don't go by success and say, well, I did all this and people still are mad at me. And I did all that and it didn't work. Well, it's not a technique that we're trying to, to get people to do. Either way, God will be glorified. And so it does, quote unquote, work no matter what happens. Because God is glorified in your obedience to him and your love for him. And he'll be glorified if he is pleased to save them or he'll be glorified in the day of judgment. 
Well, in the STEP program, they have certain alerts. For example, right now, the State Department says, if you're going to go to Japan, maybe reconsider, maybe reschedule, because the COVID's real bad right now. And um, I saw in Belarus, it says, don't go. Cancel your trips. If you're planning on going over there, don't go because of the Russians. So they got alerts. Be on high alert. Be be on the lookout. Be careful going here and and watch out for going there. And above all, avoid going to these places. And you, they change all the time on their website, you see. Well, we don't have the option of avoiding this wicked world. Because everywhere we go is full of sinners. We're always in high alert regions. In this world, we're going to have tribulation. But the good thing is that Christ has overcome the world. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be um, nervous. We can say we can be of good cheer for Christ has overcome the world. We can be on guard. We can be careful. We can see things for what they truly are. But we can know that in this world, we can do good and glorify God out of our gratitude for what he's done for us. So take this warning that Peter gives us uh, so we can walk carefully and glorify God for the great grace that he's bestowed upon us through his son, Jesus Christ. So it's been good to be in God's house tonight.